just in case you were wondering where we are, let them know. going on ladies and gentlemen this is your boy Croft. how's everybody doing out there today listen i am so so excited to welcome you to the child welfare raising awareness podcast listen y'all this is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare This podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University, the Department of Social Work, and I will be your host. That's right, your boy Croft. So if you are a student, current child care professional, educator, or parent, know this, you have landed in the right place because this is the podcast show where we will raise awareness about interesting child welfare-related topics. Now listen, I will be bringing on various guest experts to discuss real-world topics that relates to child welfare just to equip you for practice. I must say, y'all, it's going to be quite interesting to say the least. I look forward to seeing you soon. This is your boy Croft. We'll be hollering at you later. <laughs> Peace. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is your boy, Crom. You know I always like to say welcome. Welcome, y'all. I want to welcome everybody to the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. Y'all know this is the podcast that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare. Now, this podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University, the Department of Social Work. And I am your host. That's right. That's right. I am your host, uh, Spencer Croft. Listen, y'all. Listen, y'all. This is, you know, uh, a great month uh, for for the children. And, you know, we got to make sure that we're taking care of these kids in all ways up and down, east and west, north and south. And we have a guest tonight that's like no other. And I mean, when I tell you about Miss Vanessa Jackson, yes, that's right. She's going to be the truth. Let me tell you a little (laughs) bit about her. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Now, Vanessa Jackson, she is a licensed clinical social worker and motivational speaker. Listen, y'all. Her specialty specialty treatment area is working with persons who have experienced complex trauma. She has significant experience treating survivors of sexual assault and abuse. Now, Vanessa founded Get the Word Out, Inc., a grassroots nonprofit organization designed to put a stop to childhood sexual abuse and educate adults on how to keep kids safe. Vanessa is the author of I Say, a children's book written to empower young people to demonstrate ownership of their thoughts, feelings, and bodies. Vanessa currently works in private practice, creating and providing an array of consultation and treatment services for vulnerable youth and adults. Now, Vanessa has facilitated trainings to mental health practitioners, social workers, educators, case managers, community members, and outreach organizations around adverse life experiences, sensory-based interventions, and reducing risk factors with children 
and youth. Y'all listen to Vanessa now. Vanessa attended Tuskegee University where she earned her BSW and thereafter the University of Michigan where she received a master's of social work. She is native of, native of Montgomery, Alabama. Vanessa now calls Michigan home. She resides in Canton with her husband, a graduate of ASU, who is also a social worker, and her outgoing four-year-old son, they say his name is Langston. Hey, listen, y'all, we, we, without further ado, let's give it up for none other than Miss Vanessa Jackson. <laughs> Welcome, Miss Jackson. How you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And thank you for inviting me um, into this space this evening to talk with you. Mm. So how is the weather out there in Michigan? You're in Michigan. <laughs> right, right. Wow. So the weather is a, it's a little bit chilly. I think we're we're in the low um, 40s, uh, high 50s. And so you need a you need a jacket on, but it's not snowing. Mm -hmm. um, I think we mm -hmm. had snow last week, a little bit of snow last week. So so, so from Montgomery to Michigan, that yes. was a little bit of uh, transition. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Two different uh, worlds. <laughs> right. 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 Well, Miss Jackson, you know, you know, I know I know your time is is, is very important. I, one thing I don't like to do is be a time thief. So, you know, I want to make sure we do what we do. So we're going to jump right into this thing. So sure. the first thing I want to want to know is I just want you to tell us, tell us all about your social work career, mm -hmm. your connection to Tuskegee University, you know, the social work department. Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure. So um, kind of like you said in, in the intro, I'm, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, meaning that I provide mental health services to young people as well as adults. Um, I am licensed in the state of Michigan and newly licensed in the state of Alabama as well. Um, and so my career has ranged from working with youth who've been adjudicated of sexual offenses to working in school-based and community health programs as a therapist. Um, in recent years, I've also worked in the emergency department setting as a psychiatric social worker and case manager. Um, and then currently I'm working in private practice as a, a clinical therapist with youth and adults. And I also do consultation with organizations um, around trauma, around um, interventions with adolescents and young people, um, and just best practice like mental health standards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then in terms of my connection to Tuskegee, of course, I'm a that. graduate, I'm alone, right? Okay. So okay. Um, Tuskegee is home, is is certainly at the core of my being. Mm -hmm. um, I graduated with my bachelor's in 2005, and I've That's loved it ever since, loved it then and loved it ever since. Um, I was at homecoming this 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 past homecoming. Had a wonderful really? time. Yeah, yeah. All of my family is in Alabama, yeah, so Alabama yeah. is home. It's yeah. always going to be home for sure. Yeah. I love visiting uh, Tuskegee for homecoming. I mean, you know, it's a highlight of my year almost yes. when, I, when I go there. But absolutely, uh, you know, it's Child Abuse Prevention Month. Okay, sure. You know, mm -hmm. so tell us about why you support this month. And please share your story and, and, and let me know if, if, if child if child welfare social work is on the rise and why. Yes, for sure. So um, child abuse prevention is definitely near and dear to my heart. 
Um, I, I wrote, uh, I say the children's book to, um, provide parents and social workers, I mean, community leaders, just people in general, um, with a, a resource to, um, increase protective factors for young people to reduce the likelihood of abuse. Um, because I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. So I'm well aware um, of the impacts of that and also of the need for awareness. There were so many things um, that I just think my family wasn't aware of and other individuals aren't aware of in ways that we can um, simply educate adults around keeping kids safe because it's the responsibility of us adults to keep kids safe. It's not on the child and it's not about them being this or being that. It's our responsibility to make sure that they're safe, to make sure that the adults that we're entrusting them to are aware that um, you have a responsibility and you can't take advantage of that responsibility or neglect this child that's been left into your care. So after having my son, I wrote, I say, because I wanted young people to be empowered. I wanted to increase those protective factors, but also wanting adults to know that it's important that you're talking to young people, that you are engaging them in a way where they feel heard and seen so they can tell you if someone is hurting them. So child abuse prevention is near and dear to my heart. I will always champion that cause. I will always be a listening ear to survivors or to just families who don't know what to do. They recognize something's wrong or something's not okay, but they just don't know what to do. And so I'm all about, my platform is all about education, awareness, and then intervention. If you see something, say something, do something um, to make things better. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Ms. Jackson. You know, from growing up in Montgomery, and I know you said you was a, you was a, you was, you was a victim. Did that push you into the whole social work? deal or did you know that that's what you wanted to do uh yeah people hear you hear your voice indirectly I don't think that I I came into social work thinking about my own needs and myself like or thinking about my the likelihood of you know sharing about what happened to me if you ask me like when I was coming out of my undergrad program or even in my graduate program I would have said I would never disclose that I would never tell anyone um, it's just personal, it's, it's my private story, my history, and, and, and I don't know that anyone could benefit. Um, I think the changing point for me was having a child, right? So now I have a responsibility. And so I was confronted with a lot of those experiences and question like, well, what can I do beyond just taking care of my child and ensuring his safety as much as I can as a parent? Um, I began to think more broadly about it and recognize that he goes out into the world. He's at daycare. He's at all these other places and people have a greater responsibility to his safety. And I don't know if people are aware of that. And so I said, even within that, um, what do I want my child to know about his own voice? So I got into social work um, for a cause adjacent to that. But I mean, this is played out in this way. The cause adjacent would be my own family, you know, history. We grew up in Montgomery. I don't know if you're familiar with the city, uh, but we were in, you know, pretty much any of the housing projects at, at any given time. We, we lived in those. Um, so grew up impoverished in the housing projects. Um, and so my older brother, I always felt like um, if he had had a social worker who maybe looks like us, because all of the social workers we had, no one ever looked like us, right? Right. right. There was a social worker who looks like us and who had taken interest 
um, in his needs and taking interest in um, his development and his safety, I wondered if he would his life would have had a, a different trajectory. Um, he went to prison at the age of 19 um, and just traveled a difficult road at times. And so for me, that was my motivation, right? I felt like I needed to see people who looked like me. Um, and I felt like also um, having social workers come out to the home, it always felt like a tense time. I was like, the social workers coming, like everybody on their P's and Q's, like it just didn't feel like they were there to help. It felt like scrutiny. It felt like judgment. It felt like punishment. Um, and so, and it also felt like I couldn't relate. Like these people don't look like me. Now, were there times where I felt like, okay, this is a cool social worker. You know, she's kind, she's nice, she's young. Absolutely. But overall, I just felt like there was something missing and something that was desired. And so when I went to college, I initially started majoring in psychology and I took a social work 100 course. And when they were talking to us about Professor Goodwin was talking to us about all the options and what social work, because all I had in my mind was social work is the equivalent of child protective services. That's what right, they right, do. Right, that's what right. it's all about. And I'm like, yeah, you, you have to do that job. But that's not where I see myself. But then as they began to talk about case management and intervention and direct care, um, just so many opportunities um, for social workers, I said, wait a minute, this, this sounds more like my speed. This is speaking to my heart. Um, this is speaking to, to what I see as my purpose in life, right? In a way that psychology just felt academic and I could connect because I could learn, I could you know, master that, but there wasn't a direct, palpable connection for me internally innately so um when I you know learn more about social work and all of his tenants I was like oh this is where I need to be so I changed my major and that's what started me on that path you know my brother and mine our, our family history and dynamics my mom um lives a life of, of drug addiction thank god she has been sober and clean for quite some time but Growing up, that was our narrative. That was our, the life that we lived. Um, and so being the child of that, my aunt ended up raising me and, and just experiencing all of these things and trauma. Um, that's kind of what brought me to the place of being an advocate um, and to champion the cause of keeping kids safe, protecting them, ensuring that they don't have a childhood that's riddled with trauma, with violence, with so many things that I think as a community, we can combat better than we are. Wow. Wow. Listen, listen. I mean, you 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 said a lot right there. <laughs> and, uh, and I just want to I want to I want to just tip my hat to you to tell you, you know, congratulations from coming out, being, you know, having the motivation that you have to move forward. You know, I, I, I say a lot. The windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. You can see more mm -hmm. going forward than you can. That's what's behind you. But I, I, you know, from TV that I watch, you know, from the older TVs and I see the social workers come over and I hear what you're saying. They don't look like us. And I often wonder, did they really care? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, did they really care? Like I, I when, like you said, that I equated social work with child protective services. Mm -hmm. Like, OK, they finna come and get somebody. So 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 the thing about it is for you to see that and then, you know, want to make a difference. That's that's serious. That's serious. Mm -hmm. So being in social work like you are, I mean, you know. What was first of all, I want to know what was like one of your most memorable moments dealing with being in this field? 
Wow. <laughs> so many memorable moments. Well, well, give, um, give me a good one and then give me like, ah, oh, man, that was rough. Yeah, absolutely. I can do both of those. Um, I think a good one was, um, oh, there was so many. I, I, okay, so let's see. I, I'll start, you know, after my graduate degree, because that's when I started working full time. Um, so sometime after my graduate degree, I was working is uh, for Henry Ford Health System. It's a huge hospital here in Michigan and Detroit. And I was a part of the school based and community health program. Um, and so where our health center was stationed was inside of a, a, a larger youth organization called Youth Build Detroit. And so one evening I was in my office, everybody else had gone for the day, I'm wrapping up. And um, I had a good relationship with the director and the staff at Youthville. So anytime they had a difficult situation or a kid they felt like had complex challenges or issues, they would certainly call me um, to see if I could meet with the kids. So this evening I'm um, sitting at my desk wrapping up. And so the director comes in and he's like, I need you to. Um, I need to talk to you. And I can see like a kid standing behind him. And I'm just like, it's getting a little late. <laughs> um, and this particular young man like didn't look like anybody, you know, that I was I was going to be able to get through to in that moment in them 10 minutes I had left. Um, and so he told me some very serious, troubling stuff about the young person involving violence, um, gun violence, um, and just this this person being on the the, the cusp of making some really, um, life-altering decisions that weren't gonna that were, were gonna have detrimental impact on his life and so he was like I want you to talk to him and get through to him um, and so I peeped and I was like yeah I don't think he's trying to hear nothing today you know <laughs> you know that gut instinct kicks in I'm like I don't think he's feeling this today so I stood there for a minute uh, and I just gather myself together and I just put on the face I'm like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk to him just like I would you know anybody um, channeling that inner experience as a young person growing up in, in a certain, you know, neighborhood, understanding the philosophy about protection and society and how, you know, you move in a certain way. And so, you know, I began to talk to him and I was like, I want to, you know, in my mind, I'm like, don't talk too much, but give him enough, you know, don't come off like this way, but do this, you know. And so I'm having that internal dialogue externally talking to him and I'm like, it's not probably even getting into him. He's probably not even receiving this. And then I just sat there. I got comfortable with the silence and I just looked at him and I was like, look, I'm just, I don't have all the sophisticated words to say in this moment, but I hope, you know, real recognize real. Um, and I'm just here to support you. I said, what's going on? How can I help you? And he just sat there with, I'm telling you, like the face <laughs> was enough to scare anybody. Um, I later found out the director said that he refused. He wouldn't talk that. He wouldn't talk to anyone else. He wouldn't um, he would walk out, you know, and so after I said those words to him, he just started crying. I was just like, okay, like I can roll with that. Um, and from there, you know, he just began to share about like, you know, some trauma he had experienced, um, a lot of fear, um, a lot of anger, resentment, hostility, um, and just some plans that he had, you know, previously executed that were not, um, that just weren't legal okay. <laughs> so uh, which was concerning um, but he felt safe enough to like disclose those things to me he felt safe enough to be honest about what his struggles were and this is my first time like encountering him 
Wow. was always powerful. Anytime I have someone that says, I can't talk to this person or I can't help with that case, I always tell them, like, you can do more than you think you can. And if you just sit with yourself for a moment, I'm sure there's a point of inflection where you'll say, I can at least try. And so that's the philosophy I've taken with young people and difficult cases and trying situations is all I can do is just try, just show up, just give, you know, the best that I have to give. So that was a wonderful, um, that was a great outcome to that situation. And so that's something I reference often. And then very quickly, a case that was pretty heavy for me working in the emergency department, um, I encountered a young lady who had been human trafficked, sex trafficked. And um, it was something like I had never seen. It was like a, a shell, a walking shell. This was a teenager, but it was like a shell of a person. Wow. Um, it was so scary. I had never seen it before. Uh, and just talking to them, it was like you're talking to an individual, but there's no person. It's like the, it, it just it was so mortifying, like it was so upsetting for me. Um, to see that young person, to hear how they ended up in that space, came from a, a family who cared, just made one choice about going to a party and someone was being manipulative and lied and tricked them. And that's how it happened. But the family, like, you know, the FBI was involved. The family went through all these measures to get their their loved one. Um, and when they came through the doors of our ER, it was just hard to like, you know, reconcile or sit with the notion that this child is so young, but has been through so much in such a short time span. Um, but literally seeing that physical and psychological impact of the trafficking on the person, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Wow. Wow. So when you run into difficulties like that, where you feel like you can't save somebody, so to speak, mm -hmm. How do you mentally deal with that? Yeah, well, I, I have to emphasize the good, you know, more so than I emphasize the evil or the things that I think are challenging or the complexities of life. Because if not, you'll be overtaken with those things. You know, I, I have my coping strategies, my methods of release, uh, processing, unpacking, and at the end of the day, I always come back to like my faith and my beliefs um, and remind myself, though, that there's more hope than there is, you know, despair. That's what I tell myself. There's more hope than there is despair. There's more inspiration than there is defeat. Um, and so internalizing that and believing that always gives me a fresh perspective. And I'm always able to say, well, can we do this? Even in that situation with that young person, I'm like, okay, how are we getting her into care? What's next? Let's take care of the medical needs. Let's come up with a plan, a complex care plan to address all the things that this person needs. How are we going to support the family? Um, how are we going to educate the family on how to kind of deal and grapple with the impacts of what this young person has experienced? So keeping it all in perspective, but there are some times where you just sit with the cold truth and you just weep. It's just a heaviness. Mm -hmm. Um of some of the things that are happening in the world, especially as a parent, now as a parent, oh my goodness. Sometimes you just have to weep and let it out and then say, okay, what am I doing? How am I contributing to the good? How am I contributing to hope? How am I changing um, life or outcomes for other people? You know, you know, I know little Langston, he's just four years old right now. He's six right now. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Okay, okay. So uh, does he understand what, what his mother does uh does he really know 
that his mother is out to, you know, to help kids like me? Um, I think so. We had him very involved with, I say, um, reading it, talking about it. Um, so I think he understands that part of things or it, as much as he could. But in terms of my day to day job, I don't think because he's like, why do you have to go and why do you got to go see those patients and right, 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 why right. you got to talk to those clients? And I heard um, him telling someone the other day, like, yeah, my mom and dad, they work with people with behavior issues. And I'm like, well, that's not always true, Lacey. <laughs> Sometimes we have some some clients that there's some behavior issues. I'm like, now, who has he overheard? Because he's in school when we're working. But um, so he, I think he has some understanding of what we do, um, but not not completely, not completely. Okay, okay. So so I understand your husband is in so he's a social worker as well. Indeed, yes. So I mean, you know, to be able to tag team like that, y'all can kind of just um, feel each other, you know. Yeah. Be, be able to 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 understand, you know, yes. I th- I, because I think that would be a. I wouldn't know how, you know, because I would probably try to take it off, but wouldn't know how to do it. But I guess that's a, a good thing. Your husband being a social worker as well. So he deals with what you deal with, too. Well, yeah, he he works more on the macro group level. Um, he does some individual work. He doesn't do as much clinical as I do. He has a mentoring program. Um, so his, his lens is a little bit different, but in terms of like understanding the tenants and how we relate and can communicate around things, work related and personal, I think only in a way that social workers can, we have that ability and capacity and he gets it, you know, I can call him after a tough case and just be like, you know, I could just say like two or three words and he'll be like, yeah, and this and that, you know, and just understanding the dynamics of what I'm trying to communicate without like, um, me having to express it all for sure. Good deal. So, so at home in the evening time at the dinner table, is it about the day or we leave that right there? We leave that. Okay. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> we leave it. I try to keep home, you know, I, where the heart is and we're very family oriented. So we try to talk about what we're planning, what Langston has going on. Um, and then like during the daytime, you know, if something tough comes up, we'll be there for support for each other. Um, or, you know, we'll schedule certain times. I'll be like, okay, one day this week, I need to talk to you about this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we make a way to address those things. But on the average, we're like, let's park it. It's like a vehicle. We're parking that into, you know, another day. Unless there's a crisis um, that requires immediate intervention, which there has been before a few times, actually. Um, then we don't have a choice. But otherwise, we try to park those conversations. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. So, so Miss Jackson, what would um, what's something that you would like to tell students or professionals about how to successfully chart their career in social work? Or mm-hmm. and, and 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 why is social work a good career choice? Mm-hmm. Well, social work is an excellent career choice. Um, because it's so diverse. There are so many different paths you can take. Um, I think anything that you feel like is your purpose or that you're connected to or that motivates you or drives you, I think you can find that in the field of social work. I don't think there are too many fields out there where you can do so much in so many different directions, um, but still have the same credentials of social work. So I think the diversity is what draws a lot of, of people to this field. 
But also, I think this is a field that's connected to the heart. Like you just have to have some degree of, of heart motivation when you're coming into this field. And that has to be a driving uh, desire behind the things that you do. So in terms of um, how I would encourage young students coming into the field or looking to come into the field, um, I would tell them to like seek opportunities, opportunities to network, um, opportunities to get a certification, to learn a new skill. Um, even if you feel like right now, I don't want to do that part of social work, um, seek out opportunities because maybe in 10 years you might like what I'm doing now is different from what I did 10 years ago, but I'm in a different space in my life and it accommodates like where my heart is, but also it accommodates my lifestyle. So seeking out opportunities, being open to networking, getting certifications. Um, and then one of my philosophies that I've always gone by with everything I do is go the extra mile. It's never crowded. Right, right. So any position that I show up to, I'm looking to make a difference. Um, I want the position to be different when I leave. I want it to be better, greater, bigger, um, more impactful. And so I go into it looking for opportunities and being creative and seeking out knowledge and insight, learning and wanting to grow. And I think if you come to any job or position with that mindset, you can't help but be successful. You can't help but be an asset. Oftentimes, early on in my career, I was the youngest person on the team. Uh, and so I would be bringing like so many suggestions that they were like, wow, you know, and, and so um, that has served me well and that has allowed me to be successful. And so I would encourage other students coming into the field to kind of consider that as an option of direction of how they want to pursue their career um, and not uh, going by the experiences of others. I learned that early on. I remember having someone who had a negative experience at their field placement. And I was like, well, I don't want to go there because they didn't have a good experience. I ended up getting placed there. And I was like, I'm trying to see how I'm going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. um, but then once I made my own connection and relationship, it was a perfect fit for me. It was a perfect fit for me. And so I learned early on, you can't go off of what everyone else says That's or what right. everyone That's else right. says. That's and right. it doesn't make them a bad person. It just says that wasn't the experience for them. That wasn't the area that they needed to grow or experience, but it could be wonderful for you. And I experienced that. Um, and so not being able, not being afraid to charter into new territory, uh, to strike out on your own, to be the person that sticks out or stands out for good reason. Um, and having a cause or a niche area that you want to focus on, I think it's important as well. Good deal. Good deal. Well, one, one, one thing about it is I, a lot of people, you know, I, you ask a lot of people or you'll see a lot of uh, reviews on, you know, if a restaurant is good or whatever. But until I taste it for myself mm -hmm. and, you know, because it might not your palate it might, might not be like mine. Absolutely. So, you know, and I might I might enjoy it. So yeah. you know, definitely right. And then I understand I heard you saying, you know, the only way you can grow is do things you've never done before. Mm -hmm. And I see you've done that. I see mm -hmm. you've done that. Big ups to yes, you. Yes. So uh, before we get ready to end this thing, is there anybody that you would like to shout out to or uh, uh, say hello to while we're on here? Well, <clears throat> before I, so in terms of like our relationship, my relationship with Tuskegee has evolved over the years. We came back or I circled back um, to having more um, interaction with Tuskegee through the University of Michigan. Um, at one point, they were looking to have a more intentional 
relationship with HBCUs. They were looking to partner with HBCUs. Me being a graduate, they reached out to me, the School of Social Work, Office of Student Services reached out to me. Um, and of course, my, you know, um, only desire at the time was to um, facilitate that initiative with Tuskegee University. But through that opportunity, other universities have come along. But um, initially through Tuskegee University, because I, I knew the caliber of social work students that the program produced me being a result as well. Um, and I just felt very passionately about uh, the benefits of a partnership. And so um, I jumped all over that opportunity to be the HBCU liaison um, through the School of Social Work at the University of Michigan. Um, and so for me, I'm really, really thankful for Tuskegee being open, Dr. Jones being open to that initiative um, and that partnership and giving other students the opportunity to experience um, the education that's afforded at the University of Michigan. HBCUs are near and dear and number one in my heart. Um, I just think that there's also other opportunities to learn and grow, especially for me, like getting outside of Alabama was important um, and exploring other opportunities. And so Michigan provided that for me. So of course, I'm always going to be grateful for Mother Tuskegee. I'm going to be grateful for the University of Michigan, for my frontliners, the social workers. Um, certainly very appreciative to everyone who's been in the trenches, who's been doing this hard work for a long time. Um, those who have been paid and unpaid <laughs> at times. Um, so I would say I'm eternally grateful for to those individuals. And then, of course, you know, my faith in God, you know, I thank God for every opportunity, my husband for supporting me and my son for allowing me to do the work that I'm doing. Um, and in no particular order, I'm just grateful for myself, for growth, for reflection, um, and just the willingness to do what it takes to help, to support, and to just ultimately be um, a social worker through and through. That's good. That's good. I heard you saying, you know, you want to thank God. It's good to to know God, but it's even better to make him known. Yes. Exactly thank what you. You make that happen. You make that happen. Yes. Listen, Miss Jackson, thank you so much for this this wonderful evening. Thank you so much for your input because I know you're gonna change lives. When people hear your voice, you're gonna make sure. And they're gonna help, they can't help, but you know, to do different things because of you. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so My much pleasure. for your time. Thank you so yes. much for your time this time. Yes. Until the next time, I hope it's better than the last. And as my dad would always say, you're never out of business when you mind your own. This is your boy Croft. We'll holler at you later. Peace. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Child Welfare Raising Awareness Podcast. This is the podcast, y'all, that keeps you in the know about all things child welfare. Oh, it was a great time, and we look forward to seeing you next time for another mind-stimulating conversation. And until then, remember, y'all, we strive for perfection, but if we have to settle, we only settle for excellence. This is your boy, Crawl. We'll talk to you later. Peace.